celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Hello sleepyheads, and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. As you know, on this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this program, for just one bedtime, we don't want them to bring their A-game, but rather their Z-game. It's a podcast where you can sleep, you can simply relax, you can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with Benjamin Partridge. He's going to talk with me about the cities and towns of the coast of Wales working clockwise. But before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. Sleepyheads, I want to tell you about a podcast entitled My Brother, My Brother, and Me. It's an advice show hosted by the McElroy brothers, Justin, Travis, and Griffin. You know, I recently spoke with Maximum Fun founder Jesse Thorne, who used to be embarrassed to have this program on the network. Jesse found it to be a and I'm quoting here, depraved jumble of erection jokes and ghost humor, unquote, with very little actionable advice. Jesse has since had a change of heart and now maintains that the program has gotten, quote, kind of good, unquote. The brothers no longer say bazinga anymore, and the humor is more refined. Plus, Justin McElroy was one of my very first guests on this show, and we had a delightful conversation about planning a Disneyland vacation. For these reasons, I listened to my brother, my brother, and me, myself, and you should, too, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, for our guest. Benjamin Partridge is an award-winning comedy writer, performer, producer, and podcaster. Many of you, dear listeners, already know who he is, and I know that because you've sent me emails requesting that I invite him on the show. My American listeners will likely know him from the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, which is also on Maximum Fun. For our listeners across the pond, Benjamin has written for BBC Radio 4, the CBBC show Horrible Histories, and many other places and shows that I'm sure are very recognizable if you listen and watch shows made in the United Kingdom. Benjamin Partridge, welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. Hello. I already feel so relaxed. Your lovely voice has already got me. I mean, I'm not the one who's meant to be relaxed, right? It's the listener who's meant to be relaxed. You're but welcome relaxed to relax now. as well. We can all relax. And, okay. Uh, and it would, it would be a mutually beneficial uh, slumber party that we can have. Okay. 
Okay, as long as I don't drop off, though. There's every chance I might drop off. Well, we'll 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 monitor you for for just that eventuality. Okay. You know, I like to start off these bedtime conversations with a question or two about sleep. What is the best night of sleep you've ever had? Oh, what a great question. The one that that springs to mind, and this this is quite a common one, I think, is the post music festival sleep. So. Mm. Uh, there's a music festival near me in Wales called Green Man Festival. It's very good. Weekend long. Um, and I think the one I'm thinking of, the the headliner was uh, the kind of folk group Pentangle, who were okay. big back in the 60s or 70s, I think, and had a good time. But, you know, I you know it was a music festival. I somewhat overdid it, of course, with mainly drinking cider, I think. Okay. And you sort of get home and you're so dirty and you, you peel off your clothes and you have a bath and then you go to sleep. And I remember I went to sleep, I don't know, it must have been about 7 p.m. And then woke up about 3 p.m. the following day, just having wow. had that kind of big coma sleep that's pretty yes. rare to get, right? Were you hungry when you woke up? <laughs> I don't remember. I remember that at that music festival, because I didn't have any money, I decided I wasn't going to be able to afford to buy any food at the festival. So I took a big two-litre sort of bag of oats, which I was going to eat across the weekend, like a horse. And um, it did it, it it did it caused absolute havoc with my digestion. Let's put it that way. So that was a whole separate issue. Sleep-wise, though, I was unaffected. I think maybe the oats help. I think a lot of oats can help you sleep. Yeah, big sack of oats over the course of a music festival. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sleep in the same position every night? So in an ideal world, I would sleep on my back, snoring at about 150 decibels. Mm. But I sleep alongside my partner, Catherine, and she, um, using her knuckles, um, will will push me onto the sideways position, mm. which is not where I naturally want to sleep, but it means that the snoring will stop. And she can then sleep, which is fair enough, I think. It's okay. But when she's away, as she is at the moment, it's full back sleep. And it back sleep is the best sleep, I think. And a full chainsaw effect. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Kind of foghorn in the night. Um, nice. Oil tanker coming into port type thing. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Well, let, let's begin our, our trip to Wales and the cities and towns of coastal Wales therein. Where shall we begin our journey, Benjamin? So I don't know how au fait your listeners are with Wales as a um, entity or its geography, but if you don't know, it's a kind of it sticks out with the side of England, the west side of England, and so we're going to start at the bottom on the, in the south east, which is kind of where it meets England. So Bristol is the English city that's on the other side of the, I think it's an estuary, I guess you'd call it, which separates Wales and England at this point. And I think we're going to start with Newport. So Newport, Newport is the first city you will encounter if you if you drive into South Wales. And South Wales really is kind of, for me, is where it's at, right? That's where I'm from. Mm. There's a big north-south divide in, in Wales. And I'm very much team south. Okay. What's the, what's the rivalry? What's the cultural difference between the north and south? It has a deep, it's got a deep historical basis which is that in the time before the motor car um if you imagine wales is a is very mountainous in the middle 
Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a bit like the States. Like we all live around the outside on the coast. It's like Australia. Like Australia, I guess, but much, much, much smaller. Mm. And the middle is very mountainous. So basically people from the south and people from the north didn't really meet until about, I don't know, 1900. Really, there was very little kind of um, back and forth between. To the extent that in the Welsh language, the language is quite different if you speak it in the south and in the north because those people just never met. Mm. And so there's this kind of deep historical thing going on where the way you know you're more likely to meet somebody from north wales in in england than you are in if you're from south wales you're more likely to be a north walesian in, in england probably than in south wales or certainly that used to be the case so um so that's there's that going on so is linguistic is a big thing they've got different words for things the big one is milk so in south wales we call that cloth and they call it and they call it cleverith um oh. So there's these little things like that where it just uh, makes us feel a bit weird about it. Also, sporting-wise, the South is very into the sport of rugby, which, again, I know isn't popular in the US. You know what rugby is, right? It's kind of like yeah. American football-ish. We're familiar Th- with rugby. Yeah, throwing the fo- throwing it around, yes. running into each other. That's, much, that's really big in the South, and then the North is much more of a football kind of place. Okay. So it's just different, different vibe different vibe yeah. and the south is where your, your cities are your industry is you know and the north is much more kind of sheep farming and um it just feels a bit more rural and a bit more kind of more pastoral a bit more pastoral that's a nice word for it yeah is newport then an industrial city where we've begun our journey yeah it is i mean a, lo- a lot of wales is kind of post-industrial really so Certainly South Wales was a big part of the Industrial Revolution in the, I guess, starting in the late 1700s and then all the way through the 1800s, Wales was one of the world's biggest exporters of coal because the South Wales Valleys were um, home to, I believe, what was thought of as the world's best coal. It's called anthracite and it's very hard and it's very dark and there's not very many impurities in it, I think I'm correct in saying. So it's really good for running a steamship and mm. in the 1800s, steamships were big business. And, and um, I think I say steamship. I think I mean any kind of ship. I think it's good for a ship. <laughs> okay. Anthracite coal. So we kind of powered, I say we, I mean, pe- people mining this stuff out of the ground in this area where I live a hundred years ago, kind of powered the British Empire, really. Like um, it was very important. And so these towns on the coast that we're talking about were largely port towns that would export huge amounts of coal to the rest of the world. Mm. And then, you know, if you fast forward to the 1980s, that was kind of the end of the coal industry and the, the mines shut. And I guess that kind of happened in the US as well. And there are areas in the US, I believe, in Pennsylvania, where they did a lot of mining, where a lot of Welsh people moved to uh, in the 1800s and would set up mines because they knew what they were doing. And mm. so you've got lots of places... I think that have Welsh names. So like there's that university that's called Bryn Mawr. Is that right? Bryn Mawr. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's in Pennsylvania, but I think lots of Welsh people went to that area because there was lots of mining. I think Scranton is a big Welsh town potentially. Not that Scranton is a Welsh word. So the area is very, it's very post-industrial. It used to all be mines and everyone who lived here or who moved here did so to, to mine coal largely. Mm. And then that ended. But Newport uh, was a port and um, 
would export this stuff around the place. And obviously now coal's gone out of fashion because it's um, it's ruined the whole world. <laughs> but we didn't yes. realise back then. That's the thing. We didn't realise. There is the ruining the whole world component to consider. <laughs> there is. That's always worth uh, reminding ourselves. So Newport is kind of... I don't want to be rude about Newport, but it doesn't get very good press. People from Newport tend to love it. People outside of Newport, um, it, it's it's looked down upon, I think, as a place. It's a, it's a little bit, it hasn't really got its mojo back. And yeah. uh, it's one of those places that kind of feels like it, mm, I don't know, needs a shot of something to get it back on its feet. There must be places like that where you live. There are there are places. There's a, a lot of mining that's happened in the northern part of Minnesota, that mm-hmm. the economy needed to shift when when the mining slowed down or or stopped. Mm. So I think th- I think that's a common commonality in in anywhere that has mining, coal mining especially. What what is in Newport for the the casual tourist who's who might be traveling this route along coastal Wales? Okay, so. Um... Newport is not a place that a tourist tends to visit, but if they did, uh, they could go to... Now, this is a bit of trivia that might be wrong, but I think is true. So there is a nightclub there that is now closed, but the the building is still there, and it's called TJ's. And in the, I think, early 90s, there was a small moment where it was believed that uh, Newport and this nightclub could rival or, or become a kind of British rival to the Seattle grunge scene, which was oh, very big. Yeah. So there was a few bands in the area that started popping up. People wanted it to sort of take off. And the the big rumour, and I think it's true, is that TJ's or the, the the sort of dressing room, what do you call it where a band's go and get ready? Is it the dressing uh, room? Dressing room, yeah. Green, green room? room. Yeah. yeah. The green room in there is where Kurt Cobain proposed to Courtney Love. Is that her name? Oh. Courtney Love, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where he proposed to her. I mean, that's big. That's in, in the world of rock history, that's big, right? Sure, that's a big one. Yeah. So there's that. You could go to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there's a there's a great bridge there called the Transporter Bridge. And um, it's very hard to describe this, but you drive your car onto a kind of platform which is suspended by metal wires. Mm-hmm. And then that that is sort of it's very hard to explain this, John. I really I really you really need to see this thing. You drive onto it, the platform, and the platform then is hanging, you know, maybe a hundred feet off this kind of gantry that's above, and then you're sort of conveyed across the river in a way oh. that you have to see to believe. It's brilliant. And I think there were loads of these bridges around. I think they were they pre it was before they kind of worked out how to build a bridge that would work properly they came up with this so you don't drive your car except for onto the platform and then the platform drives you across the river correct yeah so it's a bit like you know that guy who takes you over the river sticks on his kind of um raft right 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 but you're not on the water you're slightly above the water you don't need to put coins on your eyes (laughs) <laughs> you can put coins in ways because you don't have to drive that's it it's taking you over here. It's, it's an um, option yeah. yeah and it's kind of it's still there it's from it's it's from an industrial past I, it takes you between two places where you don't really need to go these days but it's still it's kind of you know it's worth keeping for that so it's that's really good yeah All that's right. really good so we've been we've been to Newport let's keep traveling around the coast here 
Okay, now you're hitting the big one. Okay. Okay. This is the capital city of Wales, my hometown. It's Cardiff. Cardiff. (laughs) The Welsh town I've heard of. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. so Cardiff is where I live. Cardiff, similarly, was a, a port town. It still has a port, but it doesn't... It's still, you know, it's not as big as it was. It used to have a huge docks, which was the place where the first ever million pound check was signed which was which took place in cardiff bay and it was a there used to be a kind of chamber of commerce thing there where people would buy and sell huge amounts of coal Mm -hmm. and somebody signed a million pound check in the early 1900s and that was the first time that had ever happened that's a sense of kind of how what a big deal it was really back at that time Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the past again this is kind of Wales's story really or certainly this area so and at that time in the 1800s when it was like at the height of it there was rich people there was people making lots of money and they were building stuff around the place which is still here so there's a big castle called Cardiff Castle Mm -hmm. which looks like it's been there for hundreds of years but it hasn't it's only been there for maybe 200 years and it was kind of built by this eccentric Victorian gentleman who wanted to have a kind of medieval style castle to live in so he just built it in the centre of town and lived in it um, and that's still there and it's really great but I think tourists imagine it's quite old because it looks kind of Robin Hoody you know you could right. fire a flaming arrow from the top of it and all that kind of stuff and we do have a, we do have a lot of those castles in Wales but they are all now ruins whereas kind of castle kind of looks new basically mm. and there's another castle just outside the city called Castellkoch which means red castle in Welsh and that was built by the same man this guy called the Marquis of Butte who just was kind of the richest man ever because of all this coal stuff. And he built this castle and it looks like a fairy tale castle. Like it looks like something from Disneyland. And again, people who visit imagine it's been there for a thousand years, but it hasn't. It's been there for about 200 years. Hmm. And um, they're called follies, I guess. This idea that Victorian gentlemen would build these kind of slightly fanciful and kind of um, whimsical buildings because they just could, just because they had loads of money and wanted it in their garden, essentially, to, to look at. It's one of those things where people like that, they were so rich off the back of the work of people who were living in grinding poverty. So it's not great, but the stuff they've left behind, you're kind of glad they did get around to building it because nobody's building that today. Right? No one's just going to build a kind of fairy tale medieval castle right. for no reason. We hope not, anyway. <laughs> or maybe Elon Musk might. <laughs> Elon Musk could. He's more likely to build like a flamethrower or a kind of, you know, like a metal dinosaur or something. He's not, you know, he doesn't have the kind of aesthetics that the right. Victorian gentleman would have, you know. Okay, so we've we've been to Newport, we've been to Cardiff, and it's castles that are old but not quite as old as one w- might think they are. Yeah. And let's keep puttering around. We're still in very much the south of Wales. As I as I look at a map now, we're still, if anything, we're going further south after leaving Cardiff. A little bit, yeah. Now, I don't know whether to skip on a bit further, maybe. Um, I'm going to skip on to right. maybe Porthcawl. Porthcawl. Yeah. So Porthcawl is kind of equidistant between Cardiff and Swansea. Okay. And this is an example of a kind of, um, and Barry is a similar place. So Barry and Porthcawl are these two places that are essentially were holiday 
destinations on the seaside for the people who worked away from the coast in the valleys, further up mm. the valley. So they all worked in the in the coal mines. And the thing about a coal mine is they would all, I think, I'm right in saying, everyone in the coal mine would have a holiday at the same time. Oh. And, I th- and I think a lot of the miners across the collieries would all have the same days off, basically. I don't know what the thinking is behind that, but there were these things called miners' weekends, essentially, I think they were called, mm-hmm. where basically every miner working in South Wales, and that's like lots and lots of people, all went to the same beach on the same day. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, and there's there's lots of stories about and photographs of like these huge, like LA-style traffic jams of people sitting on buses for hours just trying to get to the beach. It was such a bad idea to take everyone, like everyone would do it on the same day. But yeah, and then these photos of the beaches, which are now, ba- you know, people go to the beach, it's nice, but they it's those images of like, you can't move on the beach. It's like every person in South Wales has gone to the same beach on the same day. Mm. And they're all wearing their kind of suit for some reason, like their sort of Sunday best. And yeah, that's those places. And now they're kind of... Um, Again, it's a little bit kind of faded glory kind of vibe. Porthcawl is home to the world's biggest Elvis festival outside of the USA. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Nobody seems to know why. All right. Um, But basically for one weekend a year, if you go there, and I recommend you do, most people you'll see will be dressed as Elvis. Mm -hmm. And then there's a big theatre there called the Pavilion Theatre, and all day, every day across the weekend will be people, and we shouldn't call them Elvis impersonators, that's not what they like to be called. Tribute artists. They like to be called, exactly, Elvis tribute artists. And um, yeah, you'll if you want to watch a hundred different Elvis tribute artists, that is the place to go. And I've got a fond memory of going there. I've been there a few times, but the one I really remember was there's a guy from America. So the ones that come over from America are, are treated like sort of kings basically because they're Mm. they're seen as like a higher class of elvis tribute act you know or um Mm. sorry not not tribute act tribute artist artist because the ones from europe or whatever it's a bit weird because they'll finish the song and then say thank you very much i'm i'm i've come all the way from hamburg for this thank you and it it kind of ruins the um (laughs) the illusion the illusion exactly whereas if they're from tennessee or something they're kind of almost basically elvis right they you know yeah so um there was one guy who's American and he claimed to be related to Elvis. And I don't know how true this was. Like it felt very, very tenuous to me. And mm. he did look a bit like him, but then so did everyone else. Anyway, he what they do is they have this thing. I didn't realize this. So Elvis used to, he'd have these like, um, what are they called? Like a piece of silk or something that he'd like dab his face with. Yeah, a scarf or... Yeah, he'd have these scarves. That's right, he'd have a silk scarf. Yeah, and he would like... He'd get really sweaty, and then he would like dab it all off with a silk scarf, and then he'd give it to a woman in the audience. Mm. And they'd go, oh my God, and then hold on to it and treasure it forever. Anyway, I think that makes sense if the person is actually Elvis, right? Because even though that's a bit disgusting, it is the sweat of the, the biggest sort of pop star of all time so it kind of makes sense that that would be all right anyway the tribute artists also do this which i find a bit disgusting because fundamentally it's just a man it's just a sweaty man yeah it's just a sweaty man exactly but 
when it came to this man who claimed to be some kind of second or third cousin 14 times removed from Elvis, the women who spend their time right at the front of those gigs were going insane because there was a sense that the sweat they were getting was... It had a bit of the old Elvis DNA in it, you know what I mean? Right, right. Like they were getting a little kind of diluted version of what you might have got if you were in Vegas in 1968. So they were going some wild. scent notes that that might have been <laughs> similar. Exactly, yeah. Some some musky top notes that yes. maybe right. may have been similar to what Elvis would have given you. So that's my big memory of Porthcawl. It's a wonderful place, especially on that weekend. I think it would be good if you had an Elvis tribute band to call it the musky top notes <laughs> it's a good name that would go over big so we've been to Barry and Porthcall I think we're headed for Swansea aren't we oh sleepyheads I want you to know about another program on the Maximum Fun Network it is called Black People Love Paramore Pop culturist Sequoia Holmes is now on the Maximum Fun Network with her podcast, Black People Love Paramore. However, this is not a podcast about said musical group. No, on every episode of her podcast, Sequoia and a guest dissect one pop culture topic that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with black people even though black people do, in fact, like said topic. Listen to Black People Love Paramore every other Thursday, the podcast that's dedicated to helping black people feel more seen, on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. So we've been to Barry and Porthcall. I think we're headed for Swansea, aren't we? We are going to Swansea. Swansea's uh, my mother's hometown. There's a big rivalry between Cardiff and Swansea, um, largely football-related. Mm. Two, the two best football teams in Wales play in Cardiff and Swansea, and they are so good that they play in the English league. Um, and they, I, I'm not into this culture at all, but there's a big kind of hooligan thing. Um, which uh, I guess Americans are, are aware of with football in Europe and kind of violence and uh, all that kind of stuff. I think so. And the the Cardiff to Swansea one is a is a bit of a humdinger um, that involves the police sort of shepherding people down sort of corridors made of humans to stop fans meeting each other and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if this happens in American sport, John. Um not to the extent that it happens in British sport. No, there's there's <laughs> rivalry, but if you if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan and you go to Lambeau Field where the Packers play, everyone is pretty good natured about everything. There isn't yeah. going to be uh, the the hooliganism. There isn't going to be the the uh, terrible injuries that that one thinks of with uh, with British football supporters. No, I don't, and I I've often racked my brains for why. I think American football seems like a good example of one where it just seems very good natured between everyone. And well, you know, if if, if your if your team, I don't know if you're a Vikings fan, but if your team um, are beaten like badly by the other team, if you're leaving the stadium, what's the vibe like? Well, in the Upper Midwest, it's one of uh, sort of uh, 
resignation and and uh, a sort of grim smile. I think is, <laughs> is often the case. I'm okay. a fan. I'm a fan of uh, football teams and baseball teams from Seattle because I'm originally from Seattle. And, okay. And they they lose quite a bit, so I think we've all come to expect it to some extent and uh, are well rehearsed in in our in our responses. But there isn't there isn't likely to be fist fighting before or after the game, which is which is odd with American football because. I'm not the first to describe it. I can't remember who described it as this, but terrible violence punctuated by meetings. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's really yeah. wonderful. Um, there's a kind. There's a. There's a. There's a saying in Britain which is about the difference between rugby and football, which says that rugby is a game. Rugby is a, something like it's something like rugby is a violent game played by gentlemen, and football is. A gentlemanly game played by the violent or something. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not quite right. But the idea being that in rugby is this very violent sport in the same way that American football is. But off the field, everyone's very cordial and it's all very good natured. Whereas in football, it's not a violent sport at all. You're not really meant to make contact properly with other people. Right. But the fans are just knocking lumps out of each other when possible. The Cardiff Swansea one is, I think the police, you know, it's probably in big red marker pen on their calendar that that day that happens every year. I'm struck by on a map of Wales near Swansea is the Gower area of outstanding natural beauty. Yes, yes, it's it a, is an area of outstanding natural beauty. Now that's an official a, thing, right? To be in a, an area of outstanding natural beauty, I think that's the thing that the maybe the European Union or the government sort of gives out as a. And it kind of means like it's a national park, like you can't build a um, Costco on it, for example. Right, right. It's a beautiful place. It's a little, it's a little um, peninsula, mm-hmm. and around the corner of, around the edge of it, are just all beaches, basically, and all the beaches are lovely, and um, it's a great place to go in the summer. It's really nice. There are Costcos in other parts of Wales. There's a Costco in Cardiff. Oh, I think that's probably the only one. All Cardiff's right. kind of the level at which you might get a Costco. Okay, um, I've got a Costco membership. I joined up last year. It feels, do you know what? Going in there feels like you're going to America for me. It's so glamorous. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a good encapsulation of America. Like you can buy these huge pizzas at the end. You do your shopping, and then there's just a place where you can buy a huge pizza. Yeah, you like can that, buy. That, a that huge doesn't pizza. happen anywhere else. <laughs> cannot if you if you have a a hankering for a box of 32 frozen burritos, it's the place <laughs> to be. For me, it's all about the frozen gyoza. I don't know if they do oh, that in America. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they big do. Big bag of frozen gyoza like the size of a pillow, like a big nice pillow you'd get in a really nice hotel. Right. Um, right. Yeah, get one they of those. They don't sell separate freezers at Costco in which you could put all the frozen products that you bought at Costco. (laughs) I think that needs to be addressed. Um, So there is a Costco in Cardiff, but there's no Costco certainly at the Gower area of outstanding natural natural beauty, that's for sure. So should we move on? Let's move on. So where should we move on to? There's lots of places we could talk about. There's Leonelli, there's Kidwelly, there's (laughs) Carmarthen and St. Clair's. Yeah, why don't we talk about um, now these places are already interesting. So there's a place called Larn, which is where the poet Dylan Thomas used to live and write. 
Um, There is Tenby, which is a kind of Victorian um, beach resort, again, which but much more kind of like the the other two we talked about are now a bit faded glory and they're a little bit kind of grotty, but in a kind of fun way. Whereas Tenby's like really nice, just really like posh and nice. Mm-hmm. And there's a an island off the coast of Tenby, um, which is called Caldy Island, and you can get a little boat there. And only monks live on the island. There's all there is on there is um uh what's it called where a monk lives? A monastery. A monastery and they and they make um perfume on there, and that's what they do all day. And you can go and sort of check it out it's good shop for perfume and on the island yeah it's a little bit weird there's i've not been there for a while there was some weirdness about women basically because obviously they're a monastery right and um i think you have to cover up a bit and so that's not great but yeah. you know um that's a great place to visit so in this part of the world then is called pembrokeshire and this is like just the best place possible to go on holiday in wales it's so nice and um like some friends of mine actually who work for Maximum Fun came on a holiday to Wales from mm-hmm. California and they said, oh, we should meet up. And I was filled with this kind of like, um, how would you describe it? Like, I was like, you, you're, there's nothing here for you. You're from California where, you know, you've got redwoods and bears and beaches and mountains and everything's kind of a bit bigger than it is here and everything's a bit better than it is here. And I was just a bit like, oh, you're just going to have a quite a sort of medium time, you know? That's mm-hmm. how I felt. <laughs> because everything is... I don't know where you live um, if you're in California, but... Um, I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, okay, okay. Well, there you have kind of spectacular amounts of snowfall yes. and things like that. Like, everything in America just has a spectacular amount of something going on, wherever you are. Like, if you're in the... Arizona, it's spectacularly hot and dry. If you're where you are, it's spectacularly cold. If you're in California, it's like spectacularly like changeable. Like you can be up a mountain and then you can be skiing and then you can be in a desert. And like, I think, you know, there must be bits of America where it's just a bit more like Wales. But Wales to me always feels like, you know, there's nothing that spectacular about it. It's just, it's just, it's nice, but there's nothing too amazing. Mm. Anyway. So I was freaking out, basically. And they were saying, oh, where should we go? What should we go and do? What should we see? And I was just like, oh, no. I can't think of anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, they just had a really nice time. And they just said, oh, this is amazing. We love it here. And it was interesting because it was like seeing it through their eyes. I was like, no, it is nice. It is good. Do you know what I mean? Like, So they went to Pembrokeshire? Actually, they didn't. So I told them they should do, but they didn't have time. So they went to some other bits that aren't necessarily on the coast, really. In the more mountainy bits in the middle a bit more countrysidey all right um and we had a lovely time and they what they said was that they really valued they really like walking and they live in california and um they really valued being able to go out for a walk without having to worry about anything sort of eating them or you know or anything going <laughs> wrong in a really sort of horrible way because there's you know nothing's bad is going to happen to you there's you you can't it's not your car's not going to break down and you're going to die in 40 degree heat that's not going to happen and there's no bears and there's no do you know what I mean? It's just like you might sprain an ankle. But. You might you might sprain an ankle. Um, anyway, so Pembrokeshire is lovely. It's just those great beaches, um, an amazing part of the world. And if you go around the, the the coast, there's a place called St David's, which I don't know if you can see on your map. Yes. So St David's westernmost part of Wales, it looks like. Yeah, pretty much. It kind of just pokes out on the end, and um, and it's got a 
a cathedral there that was built kind of, I can't remember, like in the year 800 or something by St. David, who is the patron saint of Wales, who is also the patron saint of doves. Mm. Don't know why. Um, anyway, it's an extraordinary place. Because it has a cathedral, it is um, a city. And I think, and somebody will email me and tell me I'm wrong, I think it's the smallest city in the UK. Because there's there's literally about, I don't know, 2,000 people live there. It's tiny. It's like a village, basically. Mm. But because it has a cathedral, it's, it is, strictly speaking, a city. So I think it's the smallest. Okay. Um, what's the smallest city in the US? Well, I've never thought of it as, as a cathedral uh, making something a city, but I suppose that's as good a distinction as any. Um, I think in Britain, that's kind of the thing, right? It sort of has to have one. That's Yeah. I, I once spent a week in a town in South Dakota that had 45 people in it. And the school drew kids from the many, you know, farms for many, many miles around, but the town itself had 45 people. And the place to be there was the one local business that was a market and a cafe and a post office all run out of the same very, very small space. But if you wanted to go get some eggs, it was the place to be. And that was a city? It was, I mean, I would call it a town, but I, I'm trying to think if there was some sort of church mechanism. I think the church group might have met at the school. So no cathedral, but perhaps some sort of spiritual gathering point. Okay. Because in St. David's, basically what you've got is, is a kind of village-sized place with, you know, village pub, village shop. And right. then absolutely spectacular cathedral that should be by rights in the middle of paris or like somewhere big (laughs) right right (laughs) it's just there and i don't really kind of know how that happened somebody got excited someone got really excited definitely and so that's a really spectacular place and kind of amazing also down there in that part of the world is a place called skoma island and maybe if you're from seattle this is something you might know about but it, it it's an island that's completely covered in puffins for like two months or three months a year. I don't know if that oh. part of the world where you in Seattle is that kind of, is that puffin territory? Is that, it's not that puffin f- territory. No, I mean, I've seen, I've seen puffins in Iceland and I know of puffins in, I believe Alaska, but they don't come as far down as. Uh, uh, okay. I wondered whether Seattle was far north enough, but obviously not. So no, Skoma is where the puffins kind of come down to in the summer from maybe higher up, I guess, like Iceland and places like that. And um, they come down and they lay their eggs and then they have their kids, basically, and then leave again. Okay. And um, it's it's kind of the best day out of my life I've ever had. Where really? you have to, to go there, you have to get a boat there really early in the morning. And there's always a big queue for it because for some reason you can't buy a ticket in advance. Mm. I, that might have changed recently, but I think you had to queue up, which... As a as a thing, actually does inject quite a lot of excitement excitement into any uh, sort of thing, doesn't it? Having to go and queue up. How long did you have to wait? Well, I think the boat left at eight a.m. and I think we arrived at six a.m. Okay. And we were told like two hours is probably enough that you'll get on one of the boats, but you know, be careful because you might end up missing it. Oh. And you, the boats don't always go either because it has to be really. If 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 the weather's bad, the boats don't go. 
So it's this really like, are we going to get there thing, which just makes the whole thing farm like so exciting. Yeah. And maybe we need to inject that into more things in general. I don't know. Like it feels like we're in a society now where you just sort of book an appointment and, you know, we should queue up more. I think it makes things more exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, of other things that you just can't get reservations for. Some restaurants, I suppose, but that's about it. Yeah. The emergency room. The emergency room. Yes, exactly. The fire department. Um, <laughs> so what do you see on, on the boat? How close do you get to the puffins? Well, you, you get on the boat and then you arrive at Skoma Island and you get off the boat. Oh. And then you walk around this island and all, everywhere you look, well, first of all, the sound is absolutely deafening of just thousands and thousands of puffins just going <laughs> and making little noises. That wasn't a great impression, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. And they're just everywhere. And they're kind of friendly. And they, I think, that, you know, this might be their downfall. They're not really that scared of humans. Um, and right. I don't know why. I mean, they ought to be. But, but a bit like the dodo, they just sort of don't have any fear of humans. So they'll just wander up to you, this little parrot-faced, little clown-looking thing, or like waddle up. They're just everywhere. And um, it's a really extraordinary place. And it kind of feels like, you know, those kind of David Attenborough documentaries where he goes to these extraordinary places on Earth and, you know. Yes. Here we see a million dolphins. Well, you know, there's something... He, he sort of captures those like amazing moments of nature. And it felt like I was in one of those, which is a pretty rare feeling. Right. Um, and, and you just wander around for the day and then get on the boat and go home. But it's, 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 it's really good. But I think the puffins are, are kind of in danger of dying out, right, because of climate change. So they eat a very specific thing called a sand eel. And you see them eating them. They're just these little tiny silver mini eels. And wherever you look, there'll be a puffin eating some sand eels. Uh, and they all live in the sea. And basically, I think if if the temperature of the sea changes by like one degree or half a degree, the sand eels will move and potentially the puffins will all die. Like there's, it's really, the woman there was sort of talking about it and the degree to which they are on a knife edge because things have to be just so. So the eels have to be in the right place next to the land where they normally go to and like if the if the eels just don't turn up one year they would all die because they can only eat this one thing wow um you know unless we build a costco there and they can eat they can <laughs> they can they get can burritos that, that, yeah that huge pizza yeah um, <laughs> so yeah so that's skoma island it's an amazing place and again you know i talked about how wales doesn't feel that spectacular to me sometimes but that feels like a spectacular bit yeah like really spectacular yeah it's good so we've been to St. David's when we've seen our puffins. Do we move up to Fishguard from there? I mean, Fishguard's a place. Uh, I, I can't think if I've ever been there. I think it's not particularly nice. I don't know if there are any listeners from Fishguard. I apologize. <laughs> it's just not very nice. Bas- basically, I think Pembrokeshire is interesting. There's a there's a thing called the Lanska Line. This is very boring, but, you know... The, this is the raison d'etre of this You've podcast. Come to right? the right so, place, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to get this wrong as well. So it's it's been a mixture of quite boring information, but you can't trust what I'm telling you either. So completely pointless. There's there's nothing to enjoy, and you might not learn anything. But I'm happy to go ahead. So Pembrokeshire is this bit on the end. It's like it pokes out into the sea, and there's a thing called the Lanska Line, which is a line that you can draw down the middle of it, 
and above that line, I'll get this wrong, either above or below, people tend to speak Welsh. And on the other side of the line, they don't. I think it's on the south side, they don't tend to speak Welsh. And that's because it's a place where people ended up living, um, emigrating to from various parts of the world. So um, lots of Flemish people ended up living there. So Flemish people were, um, I think, Protestants living in places like Belgium and the Netherlands who had to leave because of religious persecution. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them ended up there just because it was a place where boats went and stayed there. And similarly, there's something about Vikings living there. And basically, just because it pokes out into the sea, it just ended up being a place where people from all over live. And as a result, it's got a slightly strange accent there. And a couple of words that only they use, like there's a word, um, kift, K-I-F-T. Yeah. Kift, So okay. if something's kind of broken or like it's gone wrong, like if your car breaks down, they'd say, oh, it's kift. Wow. Uh-huh. And like, also, if something's rubbish, like, oh, I saw that, I saw Avatar 2, The Way of Water, it was absolutely kiffed. Mm. Um, but like, literally, the, it's the only place on earth where people use this word, is this tiny part of Pembrokeshire. And they've got a few things like that. And it's just a slightly weird vibe of like, why there's a kind of slightly different thing going on. And it's kind of because people have moved there like hundreds of years ago from other places. And um, yeah, it's a weird little pocket of the world. All right, but Fishguard, I I do not know anything about apart from people going, oh, it's not very nice. But I, I'm I've not been there, so I'm not going to say. So that's that's Pembrokeshire and that's Fishguard. And I think now, Benjamin, I think if we want to check on our listener, I I think they're asleep. <laughs> I hope so. So we've gotten about halfway around Wales, and so we'll just have to have you back on for an encore appearance to complete the coastal tour of wales well i'd be happy to i mean there's so there's there's a long way to go still i i I was so aggressively boring about south wales that we haven't even touched mid or north wales we haven't gotten to bethesda or bangor which are both also towns in maine we haven't gotten to morphaborth which i'm probably mispronouncing uh aberystwyth uh cardigan Cardigan. cardigan. I, I'm not sure if that's true, but it's certainly called Cardigan. Let's let's just say it is, and we haven't even reached the town of Mold. Nope. Which is a little off the coast, but worth pointing out because it's Mold. <laughs> so, final question. Did Torchwood put Cardiff on the pop culture map? <laughs> well, c- certainly in the UK, people knew where Cardiff was before Torchwood was involved. Torchwood yeah. was, it's like a Doctor Who adjacent drama, right? Which I think aired in America, is that I right? I think so, yes. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, apart from the fact that BBC in Cardiff America Bay... BBC America was on. Uh, okay. In Cardiff Bay, there's a there's a, a, a bit next to the sea, which, which is where one of the characters died. I think it was called Yanto. Okay. And he was a beloved character, and he was murdered, I think, uh, in in Torchwood, or, I don't know, shot with a laser or... I didn't watch it. <laughs> Maybe he came across a Dalek. I don't know if the Daleks made it into Torchwood. I don't know. But um, anyway, he died there. And there's a shrine to him, to the character there, oh. which people visit from all over the world. And they leave little um, candles and they write how much they miss the character of Yanto. And this always blows my mind because it's a, it was a series that only ran maybe for a couple of years. And yeah. nobody I know watched it. But... <laughs> There are enough people out there who were deeply affected by the death of Yanto 
that um, the shrine continues. The line between reality and illusion gets a little blurry. Yeah, absolutely. In that particular part of, of the country. Well, Benjamin Partridge, people will be listening to you here on Maximum Fun on the Beef and Dairy Network. And we want to thank you for joining us for a tour of at least half of coastal Wales. And uh, we will have you back to, to complete the tour at a later time. And Benjamin Partridge, good night. Good night. Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about coastal South Wales as much as I did. You know, something I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So if you don't mind, I'm going to make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Benjamin Partridge right now, while it's fresh in my mind. One, if you want some superior coal, get your hands on the anthracite variety. Two, Kurt Cobain may have proposed to Courtney Love in the Newport nightclub called TJ's, which was very popular in the 90s. Three, the Marquess of Butte built a castle in Cardiff that looks really old, but isn't that old. Four, there was a period of time where everyone in South Wales would go to the same beach on the same day. Five, there's a Costco in Cardiff. Six, Porth Call is home to the world's largest Elvis festival outside the United States, but don't call the participants Elvis impersonators. They're tribute artists. Seven, there's a monastery on an island off the coast of Tenby where they make perfume and have antiquated notions about women. Okay, I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and Benjamin Partridge. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on Twitter and TikTok using the handle at sleepwithcelebs. Our Instagram has the handle of at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music is provided by The Winterbowers. This show was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. And it is a production of Maximum Fun and Papuchik. I'm John Moe. Night-night. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.